the conversation also needs to be to make sure that these men and women don't understand, their families understand, maybe the influencers understand how different life is with a degree versus without in terms of happiness, in terms of income, in terms of health. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 13 years, 400 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. The Sports Business Radio Podcast, why should you listen? We're going to help you learn directly from top sports and business executives, athletes turned business people, content creators, and those working in and around the sports world. Whether you work in the sports or business world, you're a student trying to work in sports, or you just want to add overall business skills to your tool belt. We're going to bring you knowledge that you can apply to your life immediately after listening to our podcast each week. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 follow by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. My guest on this week's show is Kenneth Shropshire. He is the CEO of the Global Sport Institute and the Adidas Distinguished Professor of Global Sport at Arizona State University. He's also a Wharton Endowed Professor Emeritus at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. He's got a new book out. On November 7th, it's called The Miseducation of the Student-Athlete, How to Fix College Sports. You remember on our last show, we had Rod Strickland on to talk about the AAU environment, the NCAA, the NBA, the growing of pro basketball players starting down at the sixth grade level. This is going to be more focused this week on the NCAA and the quote-unquote student-athlete. And in light of the NCAA seven-year investigation into the University of North Carolina and the fact that they did not penalize North Carolina, who admitted that they were conducting paper courses for 18 years for their student-athletes, this should be an interesting conversation on this week's show. I'm very interested to hear how Ken would fix college sports. His book is a good read. I've already read it, and it's out on November 7th. So stay tuned for that interview. I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, the start of the NBA season is upon us, and as excited as I was, I was absolutely horrified to see the injury that Gordon Hayward of the Celtics suffered in the first quarter of the Celtics Cavs on opening night, just gruesome and really put a, a damper on opening night. It's just heartbreaking too. I mean, you feel for the guy, you know, <clears throat> first five minutes of his new team and has an injury like that. And it's, I was watching with my son, he's almost 11 and he was like emotional over it. I mean, he felt yeah. so bad for the guy. And it's just like, you see something like that and it just, it's just not right to see it. It messes up. You just right. feel sick. Right. And, uh, and you, I just feel so bad for the guy and, uh, hopefully he can have a quick, quick recovery and obviously he'll come through it. But still, it's, uh, you know, and it, I was thinking about it too. In the NBA, you don't see a ton of gruesome injuries. Like football, you see it all the time. Weird, crazy injuries. Right. Basketball, you don't see it as much. So when you see one, it's yeah. really, uh, it kills you. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, without getting too gruesome here, like football, they've got, you know, helmets and jerseys on and pants and stuff like that. This is like, it's all there exposed. So right. Kevin Ware at Louisville, when it happened to him, Sean Livingston, um, you know, other people who have been hurt and had gruesome injuries on the basketball court. You know, what I was thinking is, 
Yes, this is horrible. I feel terrible for Gordon Hayward and his family and his teammates. I hope he has a quick recovery. But I was sitting courtside calling the game the night Hank Gathers collapsed and died at Loyola Marymount. That is the worst case scenario. When someone goes down and they die in front of you, that's something that you don't come back from right away. Uh, you know, I was telling you off air before the show that, you know, they canceled that game. They canceled the rest of the tournament. So perspective. It's horrible what happened to Gordon Hayward, but he's going to be able to rehab. He's young. He's going to come back. We've seen Paul George come back from a horrific injury. I'm pulling for Gordon Hayward. I know the Celtics have really good doctors and a great training staff. So I would expect to see Gordon Hayward back on the basketball court next season. Pretty unlikely, probably, that he comes back this season from what all the doctors are saying. Uh, Griggs, other things going on. NFL owners and NFL players met in New York, a three-hour meeting to talk about protests, the brand of the league, how owners can get behind player initiatives in the league. And, you know, I've been saying for a long time on this show, you see guys like Malcolm Jenkins of the Eagles, Anquan Bolden, longtime wide receiver who just retired, who was at our Sports PR Summit event. And then Chris Long. How about Chris Long this week? Okay, so Howie Long is his dad, Hall of Famer. He was raised the right way. This guy had already donated six paychecks, six game paychecks to the Charlottesville Fund for what happened there. This week he announced he's donating his other 10 paychecks to education and to equality. And there's a guy who puts his money literally where his mouth is. There's a lot of athletes out there who say, I'm protesting this, I'm kneeling for that, but then they don't get behind it with action. And guys like the ones I just mentioned, and especially a guy like Chris Long, who literally donated his entire season's worth of pay in order to affect positive change, how can you not respect someone like that? Well, we've talked about that before too. It's like that's that's when you really respect these guys when right. they they when it, they take a notch out of their own belt and say, "Hey, here's money, here's my time, here's my family. We're donating their time. We're doing you know volunteer stuff. We're paying for things." That's when you're just like, "Awesome, nice job," because that's where you can really make a difference. Well, and to the players that took time out of their busy schedules to go to New York and meet with NFL owners and Commissioner Goodell and are coming up with substantial game plans for how to make progress, whether it's with the police or racial equality or whatever it may be. Um, kudos to them, because, again, they're walking the talk. They're not just saying, I'm kneeling down at a game. And then you ask them, what are you protesting? And they go, well, you know, I'm not really sure everyone else is kneeling, so I'm doing it, too. Like they know exactly what they want. They're not afraid to roll up their sleeves and put some action behind it and even you know, you see guys like Chris Long who who put a lot of money behind it, and you know he's essentially playing for free this year. So, tip of the cap to him. Again, the other big headline this week, Griggs, is the NCAA after seven years of investigation. And I I can't wait to talk to Mark Ember, the president of the NCAA, about this on our Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo on December seventh at the Players Tribune in New York. I will go one on one with. President Emmer. And this is going to be one of the first questions. And he's got to know this question is coming. But how can you conduct a seven-year investigation and have a university admit that they were conducting paper courses, which is the classes did not meet. They rarely met at all, according to the NCAA document in the case study. 
uh, it was directly, they, they required the submission of a paper, occasionally two shorter papers. The papers were often graded by the secretary who admitted she did not read every word and occasionally did not read every page. The papers consistently received high grades. At the hearing for this, UNC, University of North Carolina, stood by its paper courses. So they admitted academic fraud, and after a seven-year investigation, there's no penalty. So here's my question, and this is what I want to talk to Ken about. If the NCAA says it's about the student-athlete, but in this case, you're showing you've taken the word student out of student athlete. How does this have any credibility anymore? How can you say that these scholarships are worth anything? How can you say the NCAA has any teeth at all? I mean, we've seen the FBI move in and investigate the shoe companies, several universities. Like, is it going to take the FBI basically taking over what the NCAA's enforcement division has been asked to do in order to get some changes made? Because I don't understand how you can conduct a seven-year study, have a university admit that there was academic fraud, and then there's no penalty. It's crazy. I'm still stuck on seven years. And that is such a long time just in its fat by itself to investigate. And then, like you said, I mean, they're admitting it. Here's the paper trail. Here's what we did. And, oh, you're okay. We're good. I don't get it. It's crazy. And a secretary grading the papers? <laughs> and not even really reading them. Really? <laughs> I mean, why don't you just have your, like, you know, 10-year-old grade sure, papers yeah. or the dog or, or someone like that? It's crazy. All right. Coming up next, Ken Shropshire. A sports business expert. He's co-authoring the forthcoming book, The Miseducation of the Student Athlete, How to Fix College Sports. He's going to join us here on Sports Business Radio. That's coming up next. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. My guest is Kenneth Shropshire. He's the CEO of the Global Sport Institute and the Adidas Distinguished Professor of Global Sport at Arizona State University. He is also the Wharton Endowed Professor Emeritus at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. You can follow him on Twitter at Ken Shropshire. He's the co-author of the forthcoming book, The Miseducation of the Student Athlete, How to Fix College Sports. The book publishes on November 7th. He's been at my Sports PR Summit event in New York on stage with Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross. Ken, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be here. So you're a super busy guy. How long did it take you to write this book, and what was your (laughs) process? Because, I mean, I'm like, how did he fit this into everything that he does? You know what? I I tell everybody that asks that question that that as a – 
professor, that's that's your job. I mean, that 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 really is what you do is is research and and publish. So where you go in the office every day and you, you map out things, you map out. I go in and I I actually am paid to write. So so it's not that that difficult to do it. So in terms of how long it takes, you know, it it, it varies. And I'm working on a lot of projects uh, all at once. But this is something that. Uh, you know, if I think back, I'm mean, having materials in there from when I first started this back in the, the late 70s, early 80s. Um, uh, but but about six months of really focused, six to eight months of really focused kind of writing and concentration. And you've written books before. This one is specifically about student athletes. And, you know, I've got to start with the NCAA coming out in the past week after a seven year investigation at the University of North Carolina and academic fraud, paper courses. So answer me this, Ken. UNC admits there were paper courses and academic fraud taking place. The NCAA investigates this for seven years. How is there no penalty? Well, yeah, great, great question. I think it's a a great place for everybody to step back and really understand what the NCAA does. And I'm I'm not an NCAA defender, but... What they do, and what they do great, which which you know, none of us can really complain about, is they run tournaments. That, that Even in the selection process, we've gotten happier and happier with. So that's what they do well. What they've tried to do over the years is stay out of the academic side of the individual institutions and how those individual institutions make their decisions. And the way they make that distinction uh, about where it's an institutional decision about what's academic and what's not is whether or not regular students, non-student athletes, engage in whatever it is that's being critiqued at the same time. And that's what happened with these paper courses. There were, you know, the, the plus or minus to, to UNC, there were non-student athletes in these courses as well. So um, the, the NCAA essentially had to throw out the white flag and say, okay, you know, we've investigated and we see this was not an athlete-only kind of process. Other students were engaged in this as well. So, So that's, you know, right or wrong, that's mechanically why it happens like that and why the NCAA says, you know, in some sense, we can only do so much. We can't determine for each institution what's really academic. So at this point, Ken, why does the NCAA even have an enforcement division? <laughs> well, you know, the kinds of things that they, they do try to stop, uh, and we're seeing this in, in other places, although, you know, we could critique them there, too. I was going to say for you know, payments going to athletes, uh, for athletes that, that don't have, have not been making, even according to the school rules, significant progress towards graduation. The reason I hesitate on the, the payment thing is because that's the other case that's out there, right? That the the the, uh, the feds investigating um, the, all the way from the Patino down to kind of second layer assistant coaches uh, entangled with uh, the, the apparel companies in terms of what's going on there. And the NCAA, in some ways, uh, is playing second fiddle to the federal investigators on that. But that, but that is a space where they have at least more of a, a rules right to, to investigate due to their definition of amateurism. A big part of the focus of your book is saying that the best form of student-athlete competition is through academic and career preparation. Um, Explain that, and then obviously there's always been the argument of should the student-athletes be paid to play? Right. And, and, you know, the second part first, you know, should student-athletes be paid to play? Nothing wrong with it. 
you know, and, and I think what we have to do is step back, you know, and I think we've all kind of matured. I'll say 95% of us have matured to the point of uh, getting away from this whole amateurism and purity that, that pay can't be uh, transferred to, to, to student athletes at all, that there's something, uh, something wrong with that. It turns out there's not. I think we've all kind of worked our way through thinking about that. Um, and now as everybody is, is kind of struggling with, well, how much as all these media rights deals come in and more money come into conferences, what should we do? Really what we did with this book was try to put a stake in the ground and say, look, let's not focus on that so much. Let's focus on educating these athletes. Let's focus on this moment in time where these young people are uh, in a place where the rest of their life can be determined let's figure out how do you counsel each one of these these individuals and how do you set up a roadmap or a path for them to get we refer to meaningful degrees so it's not just degree completion but something meaningful and for those who don't complete degrees how do you help them more with the transition to real life and and we've all seen the commercials that are out there i mean ncaa tells us this only two percent of these athletes that are participating in in this top level sport are going to make it to the professional level anyway. So so it's it's it, we need to be thinking about those you know the ninety eight percent and how we're going to take care of them more so than thinking about how do we pay these you know largely men sometimes the, the women's basketball that bring in these these great amount of great amounts of revenue. I mean if we, if we figure that out, we figure out how to educate them, we figure out how to uh, get this transition in place. Uh, I, I'm certainly happy if there's money left over with the counseling and, and lifetime scholarships and all the things we need to have in place, I'm certainly happy to provide greater compensation uh, and less compensation to uh, some of the head coaches and the like. I had Rod Strickland on the last show. Rod played in the NBA for a long time. He coached under John Calipari. He came up through the AAU ranks, and he has two sons going through AAU in high school right now. And one of the things he told me, is that a lot of the players from sixth grade on are told, you're going to be a pro, you're going to be the best, and they're coddled. How many of the athletes that you spoke to for your book think, you know what, I'm going to be in that 2%. I Don't tell me that I need an education because I'm going to be in the 2% that plays pro ball. Well, the great frame of mind, the great mental state, the most positive part of, of, of these student-athletes that we're talking about, is that you don't make it that far unless you have that frame of mind. You don't make it to, you're not still playing your, your junior and certainly your, your senior year as a starter and thinking, I'm not going to make it. You, you think that you're going to have that breakout performance or you're going to impress the scout in some kind of way that you're going to be one of those people drafted, even if you're, if you're Mr. Irrelevant in basketball and in football, excuse me, in, in, in the end. So, uh, almost all the time, you hear the stories all the time. You know, Fran Dunphy in, in Philly, I, I hear him talk about asking players at, at, at Penn and Temple, you know, how many of you, you know, first day of practice, how many of you think you will be in the NBA? And everybody's hand goes up. Uh, you know, Temple more likely, Penn pretty preposterous. I mean, how many, how many guys have actually made it that far? But that's, that's the mental state. And, and it's a great point because that's the mental state that you're dealing with. And, you know, it's, it's a, it is a problem to destroy dreams, but it's not a problem to try to work somebody into reality. You played college athletics, so you come at it from that angle. You've obviously worked on a college campus for a long time. Um, you know, when you talk about how these athletes divide their time, 
they're practicing all the time. They're playing in games. They don't really have time to get a job and, and earn money in, in that way. In your book, without giving away the whole book, what are some of the suggestions of how the athletes can maximize their academic and career preparation opportunities? Uh, great, great question. Well, it really is, uh, you know, yeah, I think of a, a, a couple different places in our society where we say, let's take people as they are and try to take them to the place that we want them to get to. So in terms of student athletes, you know, it, it is the exception that is the, you know, Andrew Luck or somebody who can uh, go to a Stanford to play at the high level and come out with, I think it's degrees in architecture or something, you know, something phenomenal or that you can, uh, uh, complete a degree as a pre-med and and then end up in the NBA or something like that. I mean, those are, in my day, you referenced my time, in my day that was not so exceptional. Now it, it is exceptional. So if you, if you have somebody else that comes in and they are at the academic, you know, barely qualifying borderline, then you've got a whole other circumstance. So I think it's important to really take the time to counsel these individuals as they come in and the stories may not be too different. Somebody that wants to be pre-med uh, may have to consider a post-back kind of situation, that they're going to continue to go to school after they finish playing, maybe for another couple of years to finish the science courses. For somebody that is at the academic cusp, they may have to spread out their academic calendar uh, another couple of years as well, or in, in either one of these parties, if they make it to the professional level, they may want to return afterwards. They may want to complete their work online. There are all these options that exist now in, in, with modern technology. But these things need to be contemplated at the very beginning, and counseling needs to take place along the way. And the conversation also needs to be to make sure that these men and women don't understand, their families understand, maybe the influencers understand how different life is with a degree, with a meaningful, meaningful degree versus without, in terms of happiness, in terms of income, in terms of health, all these issues. There, there are studies for years that show you're, you're better off having the education than not. We'll return to our conversation after a word from our sponsor. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Ergon Office, who manufacture beautiful, high-quality electronic standing desks. Co-founded by former hockey player Sam Finn, Ergon Office is on a mission to inspire people to live a more active lifestyle because the human body just wasn't meant to be sitting 13 hours a day. When I'm not in the recording studio, I have a home office and I like to alternate standing and sitting throughout the course of the day. If I don't, my back gets sore or it'll lock up. I also get an energy boost every time I stand and work or talk on the phone. Studies have proven alternating between sitting and standing leads to increased productivity and a reduction in muscle disorders like back pain or carpal tunnel, which cost society close to $50 billion annually in lost productivity and medical bills. What I love the most about Ergon Office is that the desks adjust using an embedded touchscreen, allowing you to switch seamlessly between a sitting and standing position in seconds. You can even save your preferred heights for more convenience. Ergon Office's height-adjustable desks are available in Canada and the United States. Change how you work and be healthier in the process. Ergon Office has beautiful, high-quality desks with a unique design, and they couldn't be easier to adjust. Their customer service is great, too, so they'll help you find the best desks that work for your needs. I'm a really big fan of this company. Check them out at ergonoffice.com backslash SBR and use the promo code SBR10 to get 10% off any standing desk. 
That's ErgonOffice, E-R-G-O-N-O-F-I-S dot com backslash S-B-R, promo code S-B-R-10. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at ErgonOffice. Now back to our conversation. You're working at a very large university now, Arizona State. Uh, again, you've worked in in uh, on a college campus for a long time. The athletes that you've seen come to campus from day one, how many of them come to campus and say, this is what I want to major in, this is what I want to get my degree in, this is where I want my education to be versus, I don't know, I'm here to play basketball or I'm here to play football. <laughs> don't don't ask me about what I want to do for my education. Yeah, or, or, or recently at a place uh, not to be named, uh, an athlete said, uh, I'm not here to play school. Right, yes. So, uh, so, <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, that, that. That phrasing is out there, out there too. So no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, 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 and now with uh, uh, Commissioner Silver's statement that, you know, we, we may do away with the, the one and done, you know, maybe that'll take some people off campus that aren't focused on, on athletics at all, on, on academics at all. I mean, that to me is the, is the toughest group. And, and not only in a negative way either, that, that they're being compelled to go on campus when, you know, uh, a Calipari or somebody can, can, you know, is able to tell them, look, you, you can get to the next level. Well, well the, the pro scouts know that too. And it never was that many. I mean, it never was, the numbers were never huge, uh, in terms of those that were, were, were guided in that direction. Uh, but we didn't do as a good job of catching the two or three a year with a safety net that, that made that move and, and, and didn't make it. So, so yeah, you're going to run into those that, that don't understand it, and and you know the best thing that can happen to some. You know, I wasn't a severe case, but I think about sophomore year, I'm on a football scholarship. It hit me. I said, this this pro thing is not going to happen. I need to figure out what I'm going to do next. Uh, and I remember remember the moment. Well, uh, you know, I, again, I wasn't you know pro or nothing, so I didn't have. Uh, again, it was maybe why I didn't make it. <laughs> I didn't have the extreme focus, uh, but I, but I do think that you've got to, the counseling piece is so important. You've got to uh, take people as they are, uh, almost keep a, a, a close watch and help them understand what it takes to make it to the next phase in life, um, even if it includes some time as a professional athlete. Your book publishes on November 7th. What are some other takeaways from the book that uh, you want to whet the listener's appetite with so they go out and get the book? Well, the, the biggest piece is, you know, we, 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 we try not to spend a lot of time on, as I say, the, the issue that, you know, it, 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 there's some people that are still just discovering kind of the history of amateurism and sort of the background on how we got where we are. Uh, what we are saying and what the book does is, is lays out a, a whole lot of thinking about why we should be focused on this meaningful degree completion. And we actually, you know, what, what you'll find is an actual manifesto for, for, for student athletes on what should be provided. We have, uh, uh, I think we ended up with a, uh, a dozen points that, that say these are the things that need to change to help these men and women, the 98% we can refer to them as, to make it to uh, the next level in life. Not not necessarily the next level in sport, which which is a great plus if that happens to happen. But even with that, you know, the average career in the various leagues, nobody's in there uh, on average for for more than a half a dozen years if if they're very good. 
and for the most part, it's it's less time than that. So so that's that's really what the what the book does. Is, is it, if we if we think about this carefully, what paradigm shift needs to take place, and we lay that out. Do you think it's possible for that paradigm shift to take place still? Well, you know, that's the perfect question, too. Right away, no, absolutely not. Um, but if you look at the, the corrections that have taken place uh, with regard to college sports over the years and the efforts that are there, it, there's never been the focus on meaningful degree completion. If you go back to the beginning of the day, the focus is on safety. If, if you go back to the, kind of the moments of the, the mid-50s, it's, it's on let's end this, this corruption that's going on in terms of, of, of cheating and, and the like, both both uh, uh, gambling on, on the basketball courts as well as, as cheating to re- recruit athletes. And that kind of element has sat there in the early 70s. You began to have injected more of this academic integrity piece which led to graduation. But even today, so, so you see this, this whole timeline beginning to focus more on academics. There, there are rewards that go to athletic directors and coaches because of graduation. Not doesn't matter what kind of degrees, doesn't matter if they're meaningful, doesn't matter. Um, you know, and the UNC situation kind of gives us a little revelation of, of, of some of the, the gaming that can go on. So the next level in, in our mind is this meaningful degree completion and focus on on that, which includes life after. Can we monitor at all how successful these athletes are after they leave? I mean, that, that's really the, the, the question. And then, then we get those best practices in place, then we're miles ahead. But, but no, it's not going to happen right away. But there needs to be a, a mindset that says, okay, we need to figure out how to do this better and, and help the next generation of student-athletes. Is that paradigm shift started with the NCAA? Is it started with your athletic director or your school president? Is it started with your coaching staff? Where does that need to begin? Well, all over, but it can happen at the individual schools. You know, as, as we see the Power Five conferences and the, and the things that they are beginning to do. I mean, on the one hand, they are uh, you know, making the athletes more athletes and giving them a chance to uh, to do more athletically. But on the other hand. Uh, I think Maryland was the first school to mention the concept of lifetime scholarships. I think the uh, the, the Big Ten schools were the f- the first uh, as a conference to move towards you know four year scholarships and, as opposed to the the one year renewable. Um, so so the more there is conference action, I mean that, that that's really where a lot of the strength is. I I, I thought when all the dollars were coming in a couple of years ago when we were all watching it. I said, this would be a great moment for conferences to say, no, we're not going to distribute this money evenly. We're going to distribute it based on some academic success, that there'd be a, a greater lever that was put in place. So, you know, when you ask, is this, you know, is, is this a special moment in time? I began to think about this more as more money came in. And as, as people started talking about, give it to the athletes. I said, well, that, that, that's good. Uh, but you know, even even five thousand dollars a month, if, if that was the number, for four years, I mean, we all know that's that's not a lot of money. That's not going to change somebody's life for the long haul. So that's not the answer. Uh, the answer is is what impacts an individual for the long term. Uh, that is a meaningful degree. Best case, the next best case is that you help someone make a meaningful transition into real life. 
Just a couple of minutes left, but before I let you go, you have made the transition from Wharton to Arizona State. How's that going? Great. Uh, completely different location. And 90 degrees <laughs> in Phoenix and 60, 60, 60 degrees and less less than uh, Philly this, this week. Um, but but two very different institutions. It, it's and, and I and I you know, certainly love love Penn, love Warden, and beginning to love ASU, the concept of ASU, uh, and the innovation that's there, and the opportunity to to run a research institute was just something special. Well, I was born and raised in Phoenix, so next time I'm down there, I'd love to uh, come see what you're doing. Come on down. I mean, we, we're hopefully uh, you, you'll walk away. Um, you know, we'll really unveil things at, at NBA All-Star in February, uh, kind of what we're up to. But I, but I think we've got some special things that are going on that will fill a little bit of a gap that, that's out there in terms of uh, the study of sport and getting the information to people so they can really use it. Yeah, I've been paying attention to what you've been doing so far, and I think you're doing a great job. No surprise. Ken Shropshire, the co-author of the forthcoming book, The Miseducation of the Student-Athlete, How to Fix College Sports. The book publishes on November 7th. We will have a link to how you can pre-order the book on my Twitter feed, at SB Radio. You can follow Ken on Twitter, at Ken Shropshire. Ken, really interesting conversation. Thanks for making the time to join us. Thank you, Brian. Take care. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A quick reminder, the next Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo is all set. It's December 7th at the Players' Tribune in New York. I'll be sitting down with NCAA President Mark Emmert for a one-on-one conversation. Lots to discuss with him. Make sure to follow the conversation at SB Radio and at Sports Business Radio on Instagram. We'll be doing the show in front of a live studio audience comprised of special guests and college students from local universities in the greater New York City area. Thanks to our friends at Boingo for supporting our road show. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. 
My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.